Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in, David Summers, and it's another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring, back into time, let's get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, what's it like July Fourth in the Great Smoky Mountains, Stud? You guys, you guys hang out a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, man. Uh, it's uh, been a, it's been a little warmer than usual, uh, and I guess everybody or a lot of people in the country are getting that. I hear it's that way down there where you are, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of hot days, but uh, we got some rain, thankfully, and uh, you know that always makes a difference. Uh, had a beautiful sunset the other night, man. I put it on, uh, put it on social media. Uh, in fact, a little photo taken. Ah, uh, Cody, uh, do, do you guys hear the bang of the fireworks uh, around the fourth? Oh, uh, you know, not too much up here because of where we are. Where there's not a whole lot of people in the area where we are. Yeah. Uh, not like the Tampa area, for <laughs> example, down in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I remember back in those days, you couldn't hardly sleep on the fourth of July. <laughs> but, uh, it's a lot better here, a uh, lot, lot more quiet. Uh, just hung out a little bit. Uh, actually watched uh, the fireworks from Washington, D.C., which was pretty spectacular last night on TV. Yeah, same here. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, listen, Stud, I'm glad we're back together because there is no slowing down the Stud cast, Ron. Records come up faster now than Jack Briscoe after an arm drag. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one, Dave. That's good, man. Yay. Oh, that's a good start. You Thank know, you. Uh, uh, maybe I can come up with one. Here, here I got one for you, man. Uh, uh, you know, we're definitely, man, on a Pat O'Connor roll, man. <laughs> headed up the top rope to drop kick the competition. <laughs> no uh, pun intended, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, Ben, I want to thank all fans, man, old and new, man, for making us one of the fastest growing wrestling podcasts in the world. Uh, Wow, it's pretty amazing, man. The numbers are just phenomenal. And in the summer of 1979, uh, both territories uh, had a lot going on, and uh, and it seemed like things were changing overnight. All right, Ron, I think your title for this studcast, number 306, is a great example of how fast things were changing. It's called Stud versus Golden, and Hulk was looking. All right, so in the Knoxville territory, you had a wrestling war going on and a feud with Jimmy Golden after he Pearl Harbored you and your father. And your dad went to the hospital. At the same time, in the Gulf Coast territory, I would guess, according to the title for this one, Terry, the Hulk as we know him now, Terry Boulder, was looking for another place to wrestle for real. Uh, well, man, you know, <laughs> you know how it is, man. Nineteen seventy-nine problems everywhere, right? <laughs> uh, just another week for me in that wonderful year of nineteen seventy-nine. Uh, the, the challenges just couldn't come fast enough. It doesn't seem like you know, during that year. I think this is going to be another very interesting studcast, Dave. Uh, those times were testing, man. Uh, basically, the limits of a of a young guy. I was thirty-one years old. I owned two territories. Uh, wow, I should have been doing great, and I was having all these problems. And as with all of these studcasts lately, uh, we have a hard time riding fast enough to get everything in. <laughs> we got a lot going on on this one today, and uh, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to busting our man, just uh, k- kicking the old, 
kicking old lightning in the in the ribs here with the Spurs and uh, getting there going. Uh, you know, I agree because we're covering a lot of ground every week. So let's get right into it on Studcast 306. Where do we ride today? Where do we start? We're going to ride into the second week, obviously, of July 1979, almost exactly 44 years ago to the to the week. Uh, uh, and let's start in Tennessee. Uh, the first uh, in-ring wrestling family feud uh, that we, we ever had was beginning at that point in 1979. And it was the first one in the at that point in 1979, uh, our, business, our family had been in the wrestling business for 60 years. So uh, Jimmy Golden uh, turned his back on the family, and in the process, he sent my father to the hospital. And uh, we'll talk about that. There was also a real family feud going on involving my brother coming home to Knoxville after booking seven successful months in the Memphis Territory. Uh, he revived that territory. But uh, now there's a problem in the, in the Memphis territory. And, uh, and that problem was leaving a profound distrust among my generation of Welches, actually against my father's generation. Uh, so, uh, gosh, there were so many things going on, bad things during, uh, during this 1979. Uh, we're going to focus on the Knoxville cart of Friday the 13th of July. We're in July Park for this one. Uh, it was headlined by me versus my cousin, Jimmy Golden. And we'll break down the TV show, the results of the matches and the attendance. And the, we'll get in some more information on the Knoxville War in this one. And then we'll ride into the Gulf Coast and find the one bright spot, man, for me in 1979. And that was down there in the Gulf Coast at this particular time. But uh, even that bright spot was headed in the wrong direction as well as Knoxville. So uh, Louis Tillette, my booker down there, was doing an excellent job, uh, was developing, but now there was some cracks developing in his in his work down there. Mm. And we're going to find out why in this one. And uh, we'll also focus on the next mobile card, following that tremendous July 4th, almost 12,000 fan night in the last uh, cast. We'll set up the TV show, give the results of the new card and the attendances in all three of the major markets. And I really believe, Dave, I, that we got a great chance uh, having enough time left. We're going to have us a learning tree question again. <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to hold you to that. All right. So you, you have brought up a lot of really interesting subject matter for today's stud, things we have not heard before. So can we hear a little more about both of those family feuds before we get to the next Knoxville card? Sure, man. I mean, uh, that makes sense. Uh, so let's talk about the Knoxville family feud angle uh, first, okay? Uh, what we're doing here that we decided to, uh, that uh, me and Dick Slater were talking about the ideas, uh, and he had a great concept of, you know, doing something with the family to split the family. So unlike the next family feud we're also going to be talking about, there was really no real heat between the people involved in the match where my dad got hurt. You know, Jimmy Golden jumped off the top rope in my father's midsection with uh, Fuji and Tora Tanaka holding him up about three feet off the mat. But uh, he didn't do that to intentionally hurt Dad, obviously, you know. And and in fact, it was my father's idea to, to do that. And uh, none of the other three guys involved wanted to do it at all. They, uh, they really uh, didn't like the idea. And so I explained in the last studcast what, what Jimmy had already done, basically, in that match to, her, to turn the heel by the end of that Southeastern Championship tag match last week. Before the jump off the top rope, what he had done in the early part of it would have been enough heat to start a family feud. The jump uh, wouldn't, would not have happened if Jimmy and Tanaka and Fuji knew that my father had had back surgery five years earlier to correct a, ba a damaged vertebrae. Uh, and obviously, because he was a wrestler, it was an injury that was caused from the years in the ring. And he mm. probably shouldn't have been in the ring at all, to be <laughs> honest with you. But, uh, you know, my dad was pretty crazy. I told him I was going to tell, tell them about it. You know, I'm um, talking about Jimmy and Tanaka and Fuji when he brought this idea of let's do this. And all three of us, uh, all three of them are looking at me and I'm looking at them. And, and they're like, whoa, no. Oh, gosh. Man, are you kidding? It's serious. So, uh, you know, I told him, I said, you know, Dad, I'm going to tell him, you know, uh, about the, your operation. And, 
And, uh, and I tried my best to talk him out of it. But, boy, mm-hmm. he was always stubborn, man. Wow. Especially about being tough. He just wanted to be tough. And uh, he wanted to do things that nobody else had done. Mm-hmm. So, so he told me. Flat out, he said, if uh, if any if you tell him anything about it, Ron, he says I'm not even going to go to the ring for the match. Wow, are you serious? Wow, he was that insistent about it, knowing he could get hurt, even even worse. Well, he that wasn't a normal person, man. Uh, especially <laughs> when it came to pain. Gosh, man, he could really stand some pain, and, mm-hmm. and that's why he did so many hard ways in his career. All right, you said hard ways. I, I know the meaning of hard ways, but some folks may not understand what hard ways means. Explain that. Well, you know, by today, most fans know that the wrestlers, basically, they they cut themselves with razor blades on purpose to bleed. Uh, and they started that back in the probably about the 60s, I guess. Uh, they didn't do much of that before. Uh, and they did it to make the matches more exciting and real for the fans. You know, the, that was real blood. Uh, and then there was this group of crazy wrestlers, basically. I call them the real warriors of the sport that sometimes did what was called busting each other the hard way. Basically, it was like hitting each other as hard as possible in the face, over the eyes, round the nose, black the eyes, uh, you know, to really bust somebody open so that there was no doubt that the sport was real. Uh, you got the stitches, you got the real black eyes, mm-hmm. you got these bruised faces that for weeks Mm-mm. were black and bruised. And, and afterwards, it, basically, it told an undeniable story that wrestling was truly real. Uh, you got to be kidding about all this, stud. I mean, that's that's crazy. I can't believe that. Well, I wish I was, Dave, but I'm not. I mean, fans can Google. I'll tell you what. Uh, fans can Google Mario Galento. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, and I'll spell it for him. It's M-A-R-I-O-G-A-L-E-N-T-O. Uh-huh. You can Google this guy, and right there on the very first page, you'll see a photo of him, and it was after a match with my father in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. 1958. <laughs> and uh, everybody can see for themselves the results of hard ways. I mean, when you see his picture of Glento, uh, he's hard weight. Oh, there's so many. He's He's... He's got a lot of them sewn up and a lot of them that, that aren't sewn up on his face. So, <laughs> so I normally wouldn't be talking about this, but, but since we're on the subject, there's an even more horrible result of hard ways. Obviously, man, if you get hit in the head hard enough to bust you open, you also have a real good chance of getting a concussion, right? I mean, uh, if you get hit hard enough concu- and that, you know, uh, uh, anytime you take a blow hard enough to bust your eye or bust something on your head, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably going to have a touch of a concussion and maybe a bad one. Wow. And concussions added up uh, over a period of time, like football players yeah. today, NFL players, all these guys that had problems later on in life. And uh, they add up these concussions, and uh, and they lead, they led to senility, Alzheimer's, and an early death. Yeah. Uh, Wow. So my grandfather's generation, dig this, man, they always did hard ways and nothing else. They didn't do any blade stuff. I mean, they, you, 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 if you was going to bleed, you're going to get busted hard way. And, uh, and it was wow. like the ultimate, the wrestlers' ultimate sacrifice for the fans. Because of the hard ways, both my grandfather and my father died before they were 70 years old. Both of them died of Alzheimer's. Wow, you know, I bet you've I bet you've mentioned that before, but I don't recall that uh, about your father and your grandfather. And I want to mention what what you said about the razor blade. They would take just the corner of a razor blade and nick themselves so no one could see, like over the eye or something like that, to make the blood spill. And it was really kind of fast and maybe not as painful in the beginning when they would nick themselves, right? Well, it was a lot less painful than a hard way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, uh, when somebody hits you hard enough to bust you open, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, wow. it's not a good thing. Wow. All right. So I can't believe we got on this subject. It's absolutely chilling. I, I never had any idea of what kind of sacrifices the old time wrestlers like your father, your grandfather, 
made for the fans. So can we go back to Jimmy Golden turning heel and your father's injury to his back? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I should apologize Dave, for, for taking us there. But, but you know, <laughs> what we do here on these studcasts has always been we tell it like it is, man. And, and I'll never apologize for that. So I got to say my hat's off to all those wrestlers before me that paid the price, man, to be a professional wrestler. You know, it, it was a hard way to make a living. So let's go back to where we were, okay, before I got us on this scary subject. Uh, so I was talking about my father not being a normal person when it came to pain. And, uh, and, and, uh, and about, he was about to do something very dangerous on the end of that tag match it probably wasn't necessary. And to him, you know, this family feud, especially since we had a war going on, uh, it, 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 it gave that whole thing more meaning to him, you know, that, uh, that this, this war, uh, it required somebody to do something very serious, man, uh, really something to get people's attention, uh, maybe to, to, get, uh, to get the war over earlier. And again, his, his body, uh, you know, he gave up his body to make it happen. He'd done that for years. So had my grandfather for years. And they, they had all these injuries other than concussions and Alzheimer's. Uh, wow. So, so looking back at the other real family feud, which was happening about that same time, this injury to my father may have come about because of something that happened between my brother and my father just days before this match in which my dad got hurt. And, uh, and I briefly mentioned in several studcasts about Robert's agreement with my father and Jerry Jarrett before Rob left Southeastern Gulf Coast in January of 1979 to go book for them in Memphis. And they agreed they would pay 28% of the gross house to the wrestlers. Uh, so the week before my father called and told me that he had found out about the Knoxville war that it just started, he asked if he could come and wrestle to help with the situation. Come and do something to help, man. And, and I wasn't aware uh, that about that same time, Rob and Jared and my dad had a meeting in which my father told Rob and uh, he and Jerry were going to no longer pay the 28% to the wrestlers they had agreed upon. And I think my father was feeling guilty because he fired Rob. Rob said, hey, that was the deal, guys. I can't change the deal because it's going to make all these wrestlers that we brought here for you leave because they'll know the difference in their pay. Hmm. So uh, Rob refused to change the deal, and uh, my dad fired his son, right? <laughs> and that had to hurt him. Well, I knew it had to hurt him, right? Mm -hmm. So here, there was a real family feud going on here now, basically between my brother and my dad that I know nothing about until about the same time. So I think that had something to do with my father insisting on Jimmy doing that dangerous dive off the top rope party. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's all kinds of crazy run, but would, would make some sense at least. So in a way he could make it up to Rob by doing something big to help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I saw it, you know? So there's so many bad things happening in this year. Why not, man? I mean, gosh, what a horrible year. So I'm glad to say, you know, he recovered. Basically, my dad got he got well. Uh, it didn't take him very long, and he was right back to being himself. Good uh, he, deal. He never had anything uh, uh, life-threatening or long-term. Obviously, you're opening up on your family to us and revealing so much personal inf information in these studcasts. I don't... I don't know any other podcast that does what you do. So that's what makes these so special. That's a great start to this one. Absolutely. All right. So how do we get, let's get to this card in Knoxville's Chilhowee Park. I think it's Friday, July 13th, 1979. Tell us about that one. Well, the opening match was Ted Allen against Eddie Mansfield. Uh, then Dean Ho was wrestling against uh, Dr. D, David Schultz. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 was taking on Alexis Smirnoff. Crusher Blackwell was going to wrestle the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. There was the United States Junior Championship match. Champion Tony Charles was defending against Kevin Sullivan. And these guys had wrestled about four weeks in a row 
And if Sullivan didn't win on this one, he got no more shots at the title. Uh, he, his, his, his time with uh, Tony Charles was going to be done. Uh, then there was a Southeastern Tag Championship match. The champions, Tor Tanaka and uh, Mr. Fuji, uh, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. They were going to be taking on uh, Dick Slater and my returning brother. Rob was coming home. He'd had this problem with Memphis. Uh, he'd been fired, so he was coming back to Knoxville to help with the war. And the main event was a special challenge match, me against Jimmy Golden. Uh, and now that's a great seven card match, a uh, seven match card rather. You and Golden, you versus Golden, three title matches, one with Robert returning and another with Sullivan getting his last shot at Charles if he didn't win. Then you have Crusher versus Stomper and Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Alexis Smirnov. So I don't know any way All-Star Wrestling was going to compete against something like that. So what was on the TV that promoted or set up this card? Well, the TV opened up with me at the set with Les. My dad had just been hurt the night before. We watched the video from the night before of what happened and the tag match, you know, where dad got hurt. And the, the, bit, the video spoke for itself, man. But it got real serious the, on the end of the video when it showed them put dad in the ambulance and they started driving the ambulance out and they kept recording it. And there were hundreds of fans that lined the road that went from where the, the amphitheater was out to the actual main street. And uh, the ambulance went real slow and all these fans just kind of parted. Uh, wow, it was a great tribute to dad that so many fans went to stayed to see what happened to him. And, uh, and I said, I still had no idea, man, uh, why Jimmy did what he did. I told him that, I told Les that. And, uh, but I said, I'm going to make him pay for it. I'll tell you that. And uh, so Les said uh, Jimmy was going to be on the personality profile in that show. And, uh, and he said, Ron, I'll do my best to find out why Jimmy get, did what he did. So the audience was extremely angry at Jimmy. Wow, he got tremendous heat from this. Nobody ever expected this to happen. And, uh, and they let him know it because uh, he was in the first TV match. When he came in the studio, wow, did they turn on him. I never heard him boo like that. It was the first time ever as a heel. Jimmy's first time ever as a heel. He had done this the night before. This is his first match ever as a heel. It's on TV. And, uh, and it was a... His first opportunity to inter interact with a crowd that normally cheered him, and now they were doing everything but cheered him. And, uh, wow, they never stopped booing him, man. And, but Jimmy was so mm. cool. I mean, mm. he he turned it on. He started strutting, man. He had a heels attitude in the very first match as a heel. And uh, at the end of the match, Gorgeous George Jr. and all those guys, the heels in the back are watching it to see how he's going to do. And Gorgeous George Jr. came out when he won the match and congratulated him and uh, gave him a big hug like, God, Jimmy, wow, you're going to be great, right? So it was the first week of the July rating period of this show, and Kevin Sullivan was defending his TV trophy, obviously. We did these special deals during these uh, rating period months, and this is the rating period month of July. And, and uh, so he's defending his trophy uh, and a great opponent. He didn't have just an easy guy to beat. He's, he's defending the TV trophy against Dr. D. David Schultz on television. And they battled to a 15-minute time limit draw. What a hell of a match they had. Amazing match. And then uh, the fans had been waiting on the personality profile since Les had announced he, he was going to try to find out from Jimmy why he did what he did, you know, and uh, – so uh, we have something special on this profile that we're going to do, Dave, that we've never done before. And uh, we found a short piece of, of, of audio mm -hmm. from Jimmy yeah. from way back you know, when he was originally made this profile. And uh, so the, we're going to end this, uh, this, this personality profile is going to end with Jimmy uh, talking. And then we're going to actually splice in a very small piece that we've got that uh, fans, I think, are going to really, really enjoy this. It'll give this uh, impact to this personality profile. Yeah, that's cool. So, so Golden came on the set. 
man, as, as if he was already a huge star, came to the personality profile. He was waving at the crowd, man, had a cocky grin on his face, and they were blasting him with booze, and he was loving it. He was just really, really feeling it. And uh, so Les didn't hesitate, man. He got right to the subject. He asked Jimmy why he had turned, why did you turn your back on your cousin and your uncle? And uh, he says, you even participated in injuring your uncle. You know, he said to the extent he, he had to be taken to the hospital. We showed that earlier in the show. So Jimmy just started laughing about it, you know, basically at the expense of my dad, you know, and he told us he had only been back in Knoxville for one month, which was true. He had not been there for quite a while. He'd only been back for a month. And he said it was the first, he was in the first match on the card for the first three weeks he was here. He goes, and uh, and he said, and I had to be partners with that loser, Dean Ho, right? So, <laughs> so then Jimmy continued saying, you know how great I am, Les. <laughs> how many belts I've won here? Because, uh, he goes, then why? Tell me why then. Why did I not get a shot at any championship since I came back to Southeast? Hmm. So Les is trying to, you know, get the information out of him, but, but he's asking questions. So he responds, and you know, and he he started to respond, but he only got as far as saying, you know, you've only been back here for a month, you know. And Jimmy interrupted him right away. And he said, I'll tell you when you can talk from here on this. Don't <laughs> 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 like that stuff, right? So, boy, the studio exploded, exploded in booze then. I mean, Jimmy really had him. So Jimmy continued. He asked Les, he goes, uh, why is Kevin Sullivan and Tony Charles swapping this United States junior title back and forth when I am the man neither of them can beat, and you know it. Right? <laughs> the lesson <laughs> goes. He said, you know, said, I'm tired of waiting on guys like that. You know, uh, and I'm tired of and these stupid promoters here. He goes, uh, they got to recognize me as the best wrestler that's ever been here. Right? So Les is still trying to get his answer to the question, you know, and he tried again. He was finally able to get the question out. He goes, you know, why'd you do what you did last night? And uh, so Jimmy busted out laughing again. And he said, uh, you mean jump off the top rope and that old man, <laughs> that old man, the one his sons was watching, right? While his son's out there watching, standing on the outside of the ring, goes, he says uh, to Les, he goes, do you know how good it felt when I heard that old man's ribs crack? <laughs> God. You know, so, and then he said, do you know how long I have been in the background of this family? Been looked over for championship matches and recently pushed aside by one of them so his old man could be his partner. Basically, he said, Ron took his dad as his partner for this, uh, to win these championship, uh, to try to win the tag championships and mm -hmm. instead of me, basically. So, <laughs> the, so, uh, you know, Les tried to say something again, but boy, he continued He gave less, you know, he didn't give ch less chance to say anything. And he just continued on. He, he said, you know, something I, I remember, you know, I, said, I remember his dad was, I, I remember he said, uh, I said his dad was going to get hurt. Remember that Les? <laughs> <laughs> two weeks in a row, and he says, uh, you know, and he says, you know, Les, the, the Fuller boys never liked me, you know, because everybody knows, he says, I'm tougher than both of them put together. So he said, let's get this straight, man. I'm going to hurt that big one first, like I heard, like I heard his daddy. Mm -hmm. And then when the second one shows up, uh, I'm going to finish the job. And then <laughs> them Fuller boys are through, uh, just like their daddy is now, you know, and uh, so... And uh, so, and at this point, uh, let's let's insert that audio. The last bit of this will be actually Jimmy years ago uh, doing finishing this. Here's how it sounded. Betty Thatcher, I have seen them Fuller boys do horrible things that you cannot even imagine. You cannot even imagine. Them boys have had a silver spoon stuck in their mouth ever since the day they was born. And when the going got tough, the Fuller scooted out. They found them in the back door exit, brother. When it gets too tough for them, they get a way out, baby. But right here, there's no way out. Boy, as soon as he finished, he got up, man, and uh, with another big laugh. And, and he left the set. Les was still asking him questions, and he just walked out.
Man, that's an incredible, I mean, like after 10 years in the sport, that's an incredible way to start your first heel run. So it sounds like Jimmy was going to be really great at making fans hate him right from the start. All right, so let's go to the third TV match. What'd you have there? Well, after all, you know, after all that stuff, you know, and uh, and his Jimmy out there saying the things he said, uh, wow, we followed it with me. <laughs> I mean, and and, uh, and to answer all that from him, you know, uh, without any words, without being able to say anything to him, uh, the best way I could answer it is I just went in the ring, man, the poor son of a gun I wrestled. I had felt sorry for him, but he got himself a good old tennis Tennessee dog whooping, as Ron Wright would have said, man. Uh, it wasn't a good day for the guy that was across the ring from me. Uh, so the TV closed with a pleasant surprise for everybody. This TV had, it was a great TV. It had a little bit of everything in it. And it was the first time that uh, Tennessee and Kentucky fans had seen Robert in almost a year. And uh, so they didn't know he was even in the studio. And uh, so when him and Dick Slater came trotting out into the studio – that studio went crazy. Uh, they were going after the tag belts of Tor Tanaka and Mr. Fuji six days later, and uh, they got a big win. Uh, then they came and joined me at the set for the last interview of the show. And the two of them basically made a promise to, to my dad that uh, they were going to get those tag team belts for him. They were doing it for dad. So then I closed out uh, the, the, the uh, show with a little story about Jimmy. You know, and I, I told him uh, how Jimmy had been a little punk all his life and uh, how when he was about 16 years old, he got in bad trouble and uh, he was sent to, to live with us, to my father, basically, so my father could straighten him out. Right? And uh, so my father started the process, right? And he did, uh, he did just that by treating him, the process was, he treated him exactly like he had treated Rob and I. He made us work. He, he made he made he made life hard for Jimmy, right? And uh, Jimmy couldn't take it, and uh, so Jimmy sneaked and called his father, and his father sneaked in while while we were uh, off, uh, not at the house, and picked him up and took him home, hmm. right? So uh, so then I said at the end of the, this uh, this little story, I said, you know, uh, next Friday night, he said. I told him, uh, I'm going to straighten Jimmy out forever. I'm going to beat all of the punk out of him. <laughs> That's a great TV. That I mean, that had really great TV show. All right, so what happened the following Friday night? Well, Eddie Mansfield beat uh, Ted Allen. Uh, Dino won over David Schultz. Uh, Alexis Smirnoff uh, got the best of Mr. Wrestling number two. Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., beat Crusher Blackwell. Uh, then in the championship tag match, uh, Jimmy came out to manage the champions. Instead of Gigi, Jimmy came out to manage Tanaka and Fuji against Robert and Dick Slater. And at the end of that match, Jimmy got involved in the match, uh, you know, and, uh, and I watched the match and I expected it was going to happen. Basically got involved to keep Tanaka and Fuji from getting beat. They got them disqualified. That saved their belts. They didn't lose their belts. They lost the match, but they kept the belts. And then it gave me the opportunity. I went to the ring and got on Jimmy. And uh, the other four of the guys uh, that had just wrestled kind of left the ring. And that amphitheater went crazy, man. The referee then, we were already into it. There was no introduction in the ring introduction. They just rang the bell. And we just kept fighting, Jimmy and I. And, uh, well, it, uh, basically the first ever Welch family feud got started. And uh, we both ended up bloody men in that match. But I was finally in control. And uh, along came Tanaka, Fuji, and Gorgeous George. All three of them came back to the ring to save Jimmy. And then Robert and Slater came back to help me. And it was a wild, wild, wild uh, finish, man, on the end of that match. Basically, there was no winner. So uh, Golda didn't want any more of me, uh, you know. So the following week, uh, he was going to be coming back with a championship match against Tony Charles, you know. And, and I think that had something to do with the fact that he had mentioned the Tony Charles and Kevin Sullivan deal. And uh, so he got the match with Tony Charles. 
And uh, then in the personality profile, uh, uh, Robert and I, we, you know, we're teaming up for, for the first time. We're going to be teaming up together again. First time in more than a year to go after Tanaka and Fuji's tag belts. Plus, there was going to be a third annual $10,000 pole battle royal on that card. Wow. All right, so it's really a lot going down on that Friday night, and even more going to be happening the next Friday night. So how about the attendance? You you guys really had to bump it up a little bit on this one. Well, for the first time, man, uh, I'm happy to say since the word began, we jumped the house a little bit. I mean, we saw a little increase in the house. It went from just under 3000 the week before where it had been for the last three weeks straight before that, it went up about 500 to about 3500 Wow. Speaking of the war, so tell us about the next night, Chilhowee Park, when the group known as All-Star Wrestling had their matches. Well, again, man, I have to admit, I, I don't know their actual card. Uh, they'd only been on TV. I know that for three weeks at this point, but their show... You know, it was in conjunction with the the Poffo, uh, with Angelo Poffo and his two sons, Lanny and Randy, which is Macho Man, uh, you know, but they're young at this point, you know. And I'm pretty sure all the Knoxville Five uh, would have been seen on these TV shows. I never watched the TV shows. I never uh, saw I, – I tried not to ever look at anything they ever did. And uh, so, you know, uh, I know that the Knoxville Five were bound to have been on these TV shows. Along with obviously Lanny Poffo and uh, Randy Savage, he was called in before Macho Man, and uh, and uh, then uh, you know then the Angelo Poffo was running his own operation up there around Lexington, Kentucky. So uh, there had to be some other some of Angelo's crew was on there. So when you had a new TV or you had new wrestlers come onto your TV program, it normally took about eight weeks for them those guys to get over. So, you know, the, the fact that Lanny and Randy were on these TVs and wrestling on the card, it still didn't mean that they were over. People didn't know much about them, anything. So the gentleman uh, that had been giving me an estimate uh, about their crowd, you know, and I know you mentioned their crowd, too, about the size of their crowd. Uh, uh, I'd had this guy that was going every week, and he was estimating their crowd. I trusted he had a pretty good uh, a concept about how to, how to judge a crowd. Mm -hmm. And he said that he thought the crowd was no larger than it was the week before. Huh. And the week before was about 700 fans. So with both Lanny and Randy Poffo in the park for the first time, you know, they didn't make any difference, obviously, in their crowd. Uh, so, you know, uh, that figure, you know, makes sense. You know, um, we only had about 5,000 steady fans before the war ever started. Mm -hmm. You know, we were selling out that Coliseum, about all that was whole. And uh, so on this particular week, we drew 3,500. They drew about 700. That would have counted to about 4,200. And that means that uh, by this point, uh, the war had cost us basically them and us. Yeah. Uh, basically a thousand fans hmm. below what we would have had this card. I think that we just talked about w without this war going on and adding. some those guys back to that card would have done 5,000, maybe 6,000 people in, in the amphitheater. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just shows you the cost of a wrestling war to a company. So, uh, and especially since, uh, you know, uh, and the, and the problem basically was that All-Star just kept continuing it, making these false and derogatory statements about us uh, uh, and uh, uh, saying things on TV that uh, about us that they didn't need to say. They kept basically dragging the fans through the dirt. And, you yeah. know, it was all this going on. And uh, if they had stayed away from that, it might have uh, not killed wrestling there, but it's going to. Yeah, and the thing, and you and I both know, the, the, the fans only know what they're told. And so that, I mean, that's just, I can't believe that that's, that's the strategy that they chose. And as always, for me, this war information is so compelling and sad at the same time because it appears to be destroying a, what was a great territory and i know now you're trying to build that thing back so this has been a great first part of this stud cast i'm looking forward to what is coming next as we head south 
by about 400 miles into the Gulf Coast, especially because today you called it Hulk was looking. All right, so that will continue when episode 306 continues on this studcast. All right, on this break, Studcast fans, we've got great news. The stud is going to be making an appearance. All right, stud, tell us when, where, what's going on. Well, you know, Dave, I haven't had much chance uh, this summer to get out and uh, and greet the fans and meet the fans. And uh, so I've got something coming up on, on uh, Tuesday, July 11th uh, in Jefferson City, Tennessee. Uh, and uh, people in this Knoxville area will know exactly where that is. And uh, I'm going to be appearing at the fair there, basically. Uh, they've got a wrestling event, and uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, and the fair address is a 1503 Universal Road, Jefferson City, Tennessee. And uh, I plan on uh, being there starting about 6.30 and staying until about 8.30 and greeting fans and uh, saying hello to everybody. And now, uh, you know, I'm obviously going to bring some souvenirs and things for fans and uh, maybe copies of Brutus, whatever. But, uh, you know, because I haven't been out this uh, this summer very much, uh, I really want to, you know, let everybody know and uh, invite them to come out and uh, meet the stud, man. Uh, I always enjoy these events and, and meeting new people. And this is going to be on uh, Tuesday night, uh, July the 11th, uh, Jefferson County Fair. Uh, and I guess uh, people in that part of the country know where that fairgrounds is. It's on the Universal Drive. And uh, so uh, I look forward to it. As always, uh, it's a great event. It's a great time for me. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me to, to say hello to people rather than just doing it here with audio only. Be face to face. I love doing that. All right, we are back with the second half of this studcast. And all right, so because I live where the old Gulf Coast wrestling territory was located, I really hate to hear, especially after that huge Mobile, Alabama crowd last studcast, that there was an upcoming problem for you there in addition to what was happening in Tennessee. So tell us, please, what you meant by that comment earlier. Well, you know Dave, I think because of the research I do each week uh, to get ready for these studcasts that uh, I've realized I probably didn't know near as much about what was uh, happening uh, in uh, down in that southern territory at this point in time uh, back in 1979. So uh, especially, like I said, in the Gulf Coast territory, I was living in Knoxville and I was extremely involved there because there was a war going on. But uh I had no way of knowing of exactly what was happening down south. I knew that the crowds were good, that business was good, but I didn't know what the actual cards were. I didn't get to see them. But now that I do these studcasts for the first time, I'm actually see some of these cards. So I've been on the run, you know, there. I'd been on the run there, you know. Uh, uh, we'd had a great run with Terry Bolia there, the Hulk man, and uh, since he had arrived. Louie had done a great job down there. Finally, he found uh, Terry Bolia. Uh, he basically found the Samoans. Uh, he had gotten Austin Idol to come in. Business uh, was really good, uh, you know, and it showed that he had done a good job. And as a booker, you know, you can never stop looking for great talent. But uh, just as important, you also couldn't neglect or, or disrespect the ones that you had found and developed. So, uh, so this week in my research and looking back closely at this one particular card in Mobile that uh, we're going to be talking about today, today, it became obvious the mistake Louis had made that basically that sent Terry the Hulk Boulder looking for more, basically looking for someplace else to go. Uh, almost every great wrestler, and uh, you know, has a huge ego matches skills mm -hmm. you know if you got a guy that's got great talent he's going to have a big ego along with it you know and as a booker you had to realize that fact and you also had to realize the fact that the one thing every territory had that the best wrestlers in that territory always wanted was to be the champion so the belt was so important to some wrestlers that owning it was more important sometimes than what they were paid. Uh, and they would gladly accept uh, less money 
if they could be champion. That's that that doesn't make sense for some guys, but for guys that have these egos, it did. And I think the Hulk was one of those wrestlers with that kind of ego. Wow, are you serious, Ron? I mean, are you really saying the Hulk was looking for another territory because he didn't win the belt? Well, <laughs> I tell you what, Dave. That's what I want to do. Uh, let's give everybody that focus card uh, that we're going to talk about in the second half here on the Gulf Coast territory, and uh, and I I want to take this card and and I'm going to use this card to explain what I was saying here, and uh, when we get to the you know the main event on this card, then I will I will take this card and break it down and and kind of explain fans uh, uh, what I think happened bad. Uh, that started this whole process uh, up there down south. And uh, and uh, we're going to look at the mobile card. We're going to take the Wednesday night card of July 11th, uh, 1979. And uh, we were back in Expo Hall coming out to that big event where we had almost 12,000 people in the municipal auditorium the week before. And the opening match on this card was Louis' best friends, one of Louis' best friends uh, from Louis' hometown, which was Montreal, Canada. A uh, guy named Pierre Bonnet was uh, going to be wrestling against the Mask Inferno. Herb Calvert was going to be wrestling against Bill Mills. Uh, the first of two tag matches was going to be Ricky Fields and Terry Latham, who had lost the tag belts the week before in that big crowd over there in the Municipal Auditorium. They lost the belts back to the Samoans. And uh, Fields and Latham were going to be going up against the Gladiators. Managed by Billy Spears. All right, wait a second, Stud. I-, I thought there was only one gladiator. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's one of the things that I picked this card for to, to, to break it down. Uh, now there's two of them, right? And uh, this will be a part of the discussion about this card uh, when we get to the main event. And it kind of says everything about what Louis was starting to do wrong now that was going to affect everything later. <laughs> So there's also going to be not only two gladiators, now there's going to be two wrestling pros on this card. So the fourth match on the card was Ron Slinker versus Eddie Sullivan, managed by Billy Spears. And uh, then there's a Southeastern Championship match with the Samoans, managed by Billy Spears, against the wrestling pros. <laughs> pros, two of them. Mm-hmm. Then the main event was a Canadian Lumberjack match, which is wrestlers around the ring with belts for the Southeastern Heavyweight Championship. Uh, champion Austin Idol was facing Terry the Hulk Boulder. All right, so a totally different card than the week before. All right, Ron, but uh, still a very good card. So I can hardly wait to hear your assessment of this particular card and the reason the Hulk may have started looking for another place to wrestle. What's that about? Well, first, man, I want to make sure everybody understands. Uh, I was so focused on the Knoxville War and trying to save my first territory that I never asked or I never got to see these actual cards for the Gulf Coast until now. Can you believe that? 44 years later, uh, after doing the research, I'm seeing these actual cards. And, uh, And I'm describing this one for this stud cast only, uh, because of it has so many things wrong with it. Uh, and these are my thoughts about this particular card 44 years later. Too late now to change the things that were wrong on this card and what Louis had done that was mistakes. Uh, and uh, that might have changed everything that's going to happen down there. I'm not going to say any more about what's going to happen down there mm-hmm. than that at this point, but. Uh, so let's start with the main event that I just mentioned. Main event is a Canadian lumberjack match. Uh, belts around the ring with the wrestlers. He's uh, uh, got a, a guy idle against a Hulk. So, uh, and, uh, and I would, uh, you know, if, if Louis was sitting here today, uh, this is kind of what I would have said to him, you know, if I, after seeing this, uh, if I'd seen this card 44 years ago. So this card... Uh, was the the 16th week, four months after Terry Bolia came to Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. Now, he's been there four months, 16 weeks. He'd been there for 14 weeks, more than three months 
before he even got his first championship match. Think about that. Yeah, for real. That's you know what's uh, and he's the, he's the he's the biggest star you got, and he has yet to have a championship match in fourteen weeks, right? So uh, so he had already wrestled Andre the Giant and Harley Race, and he beat them both, right? He'd never had a championship mm. match in, for for Southeastern, mm-hmm. right? And he'd filled all the buildings in the territory, and he had two weeks of Southeastern Championship matches with Austin Idol now. Finally, he got the chance to win the belt, and he had still not won the belt. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, no wonder he was looking for another territory. And on this car day, he was coming up short again. He's going to get a third shot here, and he's not going to win it again. So uh, back to the statement I made earlier, man, about uh, some wrestlers carrying, uh, caring more about being champion and ha- than how much money they get, the, you know, they right. got paid. Yeah. So, and, you know, I would have told Louis if I had a chance to, and now I would say, you know, uh, think about it, Louis, Terry's pride alone, much less his accomplishments in the territory, right. deserve to be rewarded with at least a belt at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all he's accomplished. And and I would have said, you know, if that had happened, uh, who knows how much longer he'd have been here. He would have stayed. No telling how much longer. It might have been the fact that he never was the champion and never put the belt on that he said, hey, there's no future here. Right. Wow. I, I never really thought about it like that, Ron. And I want to ask you, did I mean, did did he have a. Did you have a conversation with him? Did he have a conversation with you? Did did anything like that happen? So you had an opportunity to explain, or did you leave all that up to Louis? Well, that Louis was the booker, right? Right. And the, and the worst part about this is the war had taken me totally out of the Gulf Coast territory. Right. I couldn't go back down there because I had so much negative stuff going on in Knoxville trying to save that territory. Yeah. So I hadn't talked to the Hulk in six weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know. He didn't have a chance to talk to me because oh. I wasn't there, right? So that's a great question, though. If I had been there, I could have <laughs> expressed it, or he might have expressed it to me, you know? Right. Well, uh, and, and after what you said where he had – filled buildings he had already beat andre the giant harley race in whatever the circumstances were in those matches so it doesn't sound right or fair so anyway so what was going to happen with the hulk concerning all this because you said in the title hulk was looking so what did it lead to you know uh, (laughs) the problem is he had already found a spot at this point you know he had been looking but uh, the, uh, obviously, Louis didn't know he was looking, and I didn't know he was looking. But he had been looking for another spot. And at the end of this second week in July, they we're talking about on Wednesday night, he's in uh, Dothan. By Saturday night, uh, he's gone. He's, he's finished. He, wow. He's only going to come back for one more match in the Southeastern Territory. And that match is going to be on Dothan, Alabama, a huge show on a Friday night, July 27th, 1979, in the Rip Hughes Football Stadium. Yeah. And he's going to face Harley Race for the NWA World Title. But after that match, he's gone. It's finished. Interesting. So amongst friends, we've been talking about this, and every everybody's like, I remember I yeah, I remember that too. I did not attend that. I think that's when I was first get in 79. I was first I was only a couple of years in radio as a young man. So I was probably working that Friday night. But I, I, it, it's amazing how many people do remember. That incredible, and nobody had ever done wrestling in Rip Hugh Stadium, which potentially holds over 10,000 people. So he was only going to come back for one more match after the end of this week. So uh, wh- where was he going to be going? Where was he headed after this? Well, Dave, uh, I got to stop you there, man. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I want to discuss this next week, and I know we, we have the time this week to get to it. You know, I mean, right, I, I would right. like to go on into it, but next week we'll talk about that. 
And, uh, and I think uh, not only are listeners surprised with the fact he's gone like that so fast, mm-hmm. but I think they're going to be extremely surprised to find out where he went. I mean, because it's a small world in wrestling, and uh, wow, wow uh, the place he went is going to be a little bit of a conflict, too. Uh, so uh, that'll uh-huh. be a good story for us next week. Oh, no doubt. I can't wait for that. All right, getting back to the card we were discussing then, since we can't go further on that one. What other things on that card bother you, bothered you after a closer look, after really examining? Okay, so, you know, the two masked team, teams, all of a sudden, uh, you know, each star all of a sudden has a second wrestler that, that shows up and that's his teammate, right, out of nowhere, right? And I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, who the second wrestling pro was. You know, I don't even know who that wrestler was or why, why Louie decided he needed a second pro, you know, uh, and, uh, but I do know that the second gladiator was Louie Tillette. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. Okay. <laughs> and he was already making good money doing the booking, right? You know, right. Right. and he decides he's going to put on a mask to make a little more money each week. And, uh, you know, and become partners with uh, Dick Steinborn and be a second gladiator. And uh, that was just taking money out of the other wrestlers' pockets. Wow. Just, you know, it was just, it was only going to hurt the wrestlers by putting more men on the card because each additional wrestler cost the guy a little bit of money that was on the card. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a good move for a booker. You that's, an- that's you- bottom line. All right. You answered my question. I was going to ask if it was a conflict of interest. And so you, all right. Well done on that. All right, it really doesn't make any sense why he would do that then, the way you explained it. Was there anything else you saw that concerned you? Yes, man. As, as a matter of fact, I mean, uh, the talent on the first three matches, was, which was always called the underneath card, your first three matches, some territories, the first two matches, because they only had four matches. Uh, but we always had the six or seven matches. So we always considered the first three matches to be the underneath card. And some territories didn't worry about the underneath card. Uh, and uh, many of them weren't even lucky enough to have any decent wrestlers at all. You know, uh, a lot of territories were lucky to have great wrestlers in the main event, much less on the underneath card. So Louis had done a good job uh, when he started there. And he, he had, and he had some good guys on the underneath card. And, but he had lost a lot of that underneath talent. So, uh, and uh, just to, 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 as a comparison to, to make the point, uh, let's compare the underneath card on this mobile card on the 11th to the one in Knoxville during that same week, the underneath card in Knoxville. The Gulf Coast underneath card had Pierre Bonnet, who fans had never heard of. Uh, it had the Inferno. It had Bill Mills. It had Herb Calvert. It had Ron Slinker and Eddie Sullivan. Well, out of that six, only Ron Slinker is a you know could was a top guy, basically that uh, worked in top matches. The mm-hmm. other five didn't work. They didn't get those top match cards. They never got out the underneath. Uh, but let's check. Let's compare that to the underneath card in Knoxville on the same week. You had Eddie Mansfield. You had Ted Allen. You had David Schultz. You had Dean Ho. You had Mister Wrestling too. And Alexis Smirnoff. Now, at least four of those guys could have been main eventers in any territory. Oh, easily. All right, so this is like the Knoxville War. Fascinating stuff. I don't think any wrestling fan could have looked at that mobile card and picked out all those problems. What a booking lesson we got today. That's really cool. All right, I can't believe it. Can you believe it, Ron? We're almost out of time, but we're going to be able to squeeze in a learning tree question, if that's okay. You got time for that? Oh, yeah, man. Sure. All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, this question comes from Jeffrey R. Archery in Cleveland, Tennessee. Jeffrey asks, did Big Jim Hess return to announce for the All-Star Knoxville Five group? All right, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you remember Big Jim Hess, man, and the controversy and all that uh, Stuff from uh, back in 1975 when uh, when I first came and started Southeastern. Uh, that's a very good question, Jeffrey. Uh, 
And uh, for those that aren't familiar with who Big Jim Hess is and his relationship to wrestling, he was the commentator for the wrestling show on the Knoxville TV station, which was on top of a mountain near downtown Knoxville there, uh, during the time that John Kazana owned, uh, owned Knoxville Wrestling and, uh, and uh, before I bought him out. When I came and bought out John Kazana in the fall of 1974, I dealt with Big Jim Hess, too, because he was the commentator for me for about five months until I got on to Big Channel, Channel 10. And uh, so those that have heard a lot of Studcast, uh, they'll be familiar with that name, you know, because I think I kind of made this guy somewhat famous for his unique way of describing wrestler punches. And, uh, you know, uh, what he would say every time a wrestler would throw a punch, he would go, there you go, another warp your head off hold. And another warp your head off hold. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, he was not the best when it came to commentators, basically. I guess that's what I'm saying. So, you know. And then, then to, you know, to, uh, to the gentleman that asked the question, I had to admit, you know, I, I've already said I never watched a single all-star wrestling TV show. Uh, I never <laughs> even looked in the paper to see who they had on the card. <laughs> so I don't honestly know the exact answer to your question, you know, sir. Uh, you know, but but I wouldn't doubt it that, you know, he would have been the choice for them. Uh, I know that uh, he was real tight with Ron Wright. Ron Wright's one of the Knoxville Five at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. They were very good friends. I know that Ron Wright was responsible for getting the Knoxville Five on that TV station mm -hmm. uh, when the war started, you know. And so I wouldn't doubt that Big Jim has also probably not only announced uh, on the TV, the commentator on the TV, but I, I don't believe I've heard that the TV was done in Lexington, uh, but they, they only did the uh, interviews and inserted the interviews into the show when the TV came to Knoxville. Ah. So uh, Big Jim wouldn't have been the commentator, but he would have probably been the guy that talked to the wrestlers about their upcoming matches in Chilhowee Park. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, that's about the best I can do on answering that one for you, uh, Jeffrey. But uh, thank you very much for your question. <laughs> well, Ron, I got to tell you, this has been another warp your head off stud cast. Almost. <laughs> We still got a little bit more to go. All right, listen, a most unusual studcast today for sure. We've discussed some topics never before touched upon, as far as I remember anyway, Ron. Things have, uh, like hard ways, breaking down a card as to why it works or not, the answer for losing a talent like Terry Bollet, the Hulk, and more. So next week, uh, how do you top it? Where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to follow this one up, man, with the scoop on where the Hulk was going. And, uh, and when he left, uh, we already know kind of, I think, why he left. Uh, and uh, where he went has a, has a personal significance to Southeastern Territory. And uh, when, when we talk about that next week, fans will see it instantly. And then in the third week, we'll be talking about the third week of July, and 1979 next one. And we'll find out about uh, what was uh, the next step for Austin Idol. He's the guy that's going to have to replace Hulk. And, uh, you know, so uh, and he's going to start right away with uh, a star from the territory right next to us, the Georgia territory. Tony Atlas is coming to South the southeastern Gulf Coast uh, wow. to wrestle wow. uh, Austin Idol for the southeastern championship. So then we'll go back to Knoxville in the next one uh, where there's a great card, man. Third annual $10,000 pole battle royal. It's got my brother and I going after the Southeastern Tag Belts. Uh, it's got Dick Slater defending his title against Kevin Sullivan. Uh, you got Jimmy Golden getting the shot at Tony Charles' junior heavyweight title and much more than that. Uh, and then, then maybe we'll have another learning tree question next week. That would be awesome, and that was, a, that was a fun way to wrap this one up. Listen, folks, on Facebook, go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud. Like him, follow him there to become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, it's the same thing. Ron Fuller Welch, follow him on Twitter as well. Check out the fantastic website, tnstud.com, for every stud cast ever done. 43 Super Stud Cast and the Stud Store for all kinds of souvenirs, including 
the lion novel. It's a thrilling lion novel. You got to check it out. It's called Brutus. Get your personally autographed copy there. The YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, it's red hot. It now has more than 300 hours of video. Total 300, more than 300 hours of video. You could sit there for days and days to check it out. 85, the last 85 studcasts are posted there. 52 stud stories, and now 51, 51 short rides with the stud that are so much fun and very informative. Don't miss the new Ask the Stud 6 question and answer show with the next Ask the Stud 7 coming on Saturday, July 15th, 2023. Subscribe now to the best old school site on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Also, if you live in the Knoxville area, another reminder, and we want to shake hands You want to shake hands with the stud? Of course you do. And get a picture, maybe. Jefferson City Fair, Tuesday night, July 11th. Tuesday night, July 11th at the wrestling event from 6.30 until 8.30. All kinds of souvenirs. Stop by and say hello and meet and greet the stud. All right. Any last comments, Ron? Well, Jason, I want to thank everybody, as always, man, for joining us today. And I hope everybody's enjoyed it. In a little bit different format today. Couldn't get to everything we normally do, but uh, I, I hopefully uh, fans liked it. And, uh, and I hope you come back for the next one. And please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.